Volatility in the market is a fact. What isn't so clear is what the ups and downs of the market can do to your retirement portfolio. For answers, call Kevin Brooker at 800-975-6717. Kevin is founder and CEO of Silverleaf Financial, and he's been helping people cut through the noise to create a retirement and income plan that can take you all the way through retirement. Call now for your free financial consultation, 800-975-6717. Today's market volatility can really take a toll on your portfolio. But what if you could lock in your gains and still be in a position to participate in the gains without suffering losses if the market plunges again? That's what Kevin Brooker at Silverleaf Financial can help you achieve. Your no-cost analysis includes a portfolio x-ray showing any hidden fees in your current plan. He'll show you how by claiming Social Security at the right time can make a huge difference in your retirement income. Call Kevin Brooker today, 800-975-6717. Do it today. This is Kevin Brooker, and we are cruising through retirement. You know, planning for retirement with an eye on taxes and fees is a really big job. On today's show, we're going to give you some tips to help make sure your money lasts all the way through your retirement. Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. Kevin is an investment advisor representative with more than 30 years experience. He's helped thousands of people cruise through retirement, and he'd be happy to help you too. Stick around for today's adventure on Cruising Through Retirement. This is Cruising Through Retirement with Kevin Brooker. I'm consumer advocate Steve Siddall. Kevin is a, is a fiduciary. He's an investment advisor representative. You'll find him at Silverleaf Financial. He's been helping folks for more than 30 years. Silverleaffinancial.com is the website. Um, he's also an author, uh, co-authored a book called The Millionaire's Guide to Tax-Free Money for Long-Term Care. You are a busy guy, Kevin. Hi, how are hey, you? I'm doing great. Doing great, Steve. We try, we try to keep busy. Yeah, exactly. So, I mean, again, it's been kind of a big week, uh, you know, Market-wise, we've been seeing a lot of, well, some downs mostly, but but it's just been kind of a weird week. It, it really has been. You know, the market's been trying, most of the players and the institutions have been trying to figure out uh, really the Federal Reserve and, and how the meeting was going to go today. Because, you know, the uh, in the last month or so, we had them come out and kind of change the rate, or I should say increase the rate that they're going to, you know, cut back in their bond purchases. And which means they're probably going to start raising interest rates sooner is what a lot of folks think. And so there was confusion on it because it seemed like, you know, all this easy money, like the punch bowl was going to be taken away. Right. Yeah. And, and the market, generally speaking, the market likes the punch bowl. So, <laughs> um, so when it looked like that's going away sooner, it started to panic. And that's when you're seeing those, the, these, those down days. And today we had that meeting, you know, with Powell and the federal reserve. Yeah. And, and so they announced uh, that they are going to, you know, they didn't announce any big surprises. And they said that they expect three interest rate hikes next year in 2022. And the market liked that news, so it decided to rally about 400 points in the last couple hours. Yeah, that's amazing, because I was kind of, you know, I look at it periodically throughout the day, and holy cow, it was not looking good until I just look now. <laughs> no, yes, that's that's right. I mean, if, if uh, you know, if you were able to step in and buy this morning, you got some great prices. You know, I mean, NASDAQ finished up 2.15% for the day. Uh, earlier, it was down, you know, so you, you could have made a 25 3% gain 
uh, you know, just just within today's market. If yeah. you if you had if you had were you know were adept enough, and and so it just shows you that these to me these sell offs and I I shouldn't call it a sell off just because it wasn't a sell off of any magnitude. I think we dropped maybe three four percent, maybe five, and depending on where you're looking, uh, there are a lot of individual stocks that have been breaking down, and so that makes that that is something that analysts look at, strategists look at. You know, they call that a measure of breadth. You know, how many stocks across, let's say, the S and P five hundred, how many out of the five hundred are actually hitting new highs, and and it's deceiving because there's so much weight given to the big, you know, given to companies like Apple, uh, that the S and P can go up even though a lot of companies in the S P might be going down, and and so it can be a little bit confusing. But really, what this tells me is that the market is confident that the economy is doing well, and that's what it means, guys. With the Fed raising rates. What that means is that they're taking away the artificial supports because the economy is strong enough on its own. It doesn't need the artificial support. It actually hasn't needed, in my opinion, it hasn't needed the artificial support for a long time. And, and that's what a lot of people are saying is that the Fed is you know, behind the curve. They're too slow. They're too late. And, uh, and that was part of the worries as well. But I think now, you know, the market likes what it sees and, you know, everything is looking good. So the, the interest rate increases, I mean, there's nothing going to be, I mean, that was expected, wasn't it? Or some it, something like that. It, it 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 was. I would put it in the something like that category. I think the consensus, you know, there, there's there, there's all these futures bets out there that even you know when is the first rate hike going to come and and it looks like that might be May or June, and then maybe another one, you know, a couple months after that. I don't know September range, and then maybe with another one in November December. And but but bear in mind, we're, these are you know twenty a quarter of a point, right? Right. And and. Uh, if anybody saw, there was, a, there was a real good interview the other day on CNBC with uh, James Gorman, I believe his name is, the boss at Morgan Stanley. And and he um, he said, in his opinion, uh, the Fed would need to hike rates 20, uh, 10 times, 10 times at, court, at a quarter point each to get back to normal. And so something like that, the market is not expecting, right? Right. Uh, you know, so if we're talking three, the market says, hey, that sounds good. And uh, things look good. The economy is growing. We've had some very, we've had some very, very strong. You know, a lot of people have seen the strong inflation numbers, uh, but but it's also we also have a very strong economy, very strong. Right. Um, and and so which is which is why they're making these moves. So overall, it's good. The economy is doing really well, and unemployment is le- is at a level of I think uh, I think we haven't seen it. It's the lowest in something like forty years. So on on uh, as far as the overall economy goes. Things are actually looking very good. Well, and a lot of companies coming up with their, you know, their their year end and their their you know their quarterly reports. I mean, things are looking pretty good for a lot of companies. They are, they are. You know, a lot of you know a lot of them are doing. You're they're buying back their own stock, for instance. But yeah, you know, with a lot of companies, they're they're buying back their own stock, which is their way of saying that they think the best use of their excess capital is to buy back their shares. And so that's always a very positive sign. There was a few announcements today. And, and that's actually a metric that you could actually use. That's one thing that I use to look at is, you know, are they buying their own stock or insider selling their stock? Are they buying it? You know, it, selling could mean many things. It doesn't mean there's a problem with the company. It could mean maybe the, 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 the boss has all their money tied up in company stock and, and he or she wants to diversify a little bit. It doesn't mean there's necessarily a problem. Right. But, when they're, but when they're buying, to me, that's a very clear indication that they think the stock is a good value. Right. Exactly. Uh, so jump in it, it, on that bandwagon. Jump in on that bandwagon because you have to think the board of directors knows more about the company than we do. And and so I feel like if they want to buy it, then it's worth taking a look. Sure. Absolutely. You know? And and so, I mean, again, looking forward as we begin, to, you know, we're closing out the year. And so, you know, 
the year as a whole, what's your opinion? What do you think? Good, bad, and oh. different? I mean, <laughs> okay. well, moving I forward? What, <laughs> as far as the stock market goes, we're a financial show. We're planning for retirement, right? Right. So, so as far as the markets go, you know, I, I don't think there's any doubt anybody could question. It's been a fantastic year. This, this has one, been one of the biggest gains we've seen for the markets. Uh, it's probably a top 10. I don't know the exact number. Right. Um, but, but the way we're looking right now, this, is, this to me is looking like we're setting up for the Santa Claus rally. That's, that's what it looks like to me. It's something that a lot of folks on Wall Street have talked about for years, um, how the market, generally speaking, does rally the last couple of weeks of the year. And, and there's a lot of theories on that. Some people have heard about the January effect, which is when a lot of folks, you know, everybody is contributing to their 401k again. In other words, you got to remember there are maximums that, you know, there are caps on how much money people put into it. Some people cap out and they hit that maximum early in the year. And, and so you don't have as many people putting money in their 401k in December as you do in January. And putting all that money into that retirement, you know, it goes into the market, right? Yes. So, so they've come up with these terms, the January effect, right after the Santa Claus rally, you get the January, January effect. And so, so typically it's, a, you know, this is a good time to be a buyer. And, and I would say if you've got a longer term perspective, meaning at, I would say at least seven or eight years, then I think, then I think you should just, you should buy in any weakness for sure, uh, is my view. Because if you look at it really you know, I think the truth is the stock market has always gone on to hit new highs, you know, so far, right? So far, so good. Yeah. So, so far. I mean, you know, so make sure it's money you can afford to lose, you know, or at least you can afford to lose piece of it if you're in the stock market. Um, and that's something that I think is important for everybody to take a look at over the holidays. You know, if you do have some extra time, take a look at your portfolio, see how it's performed and see how, you know, and ask yourself how comfortable you were when we had some of those down days. That's what you, you know, don't, everybody's making money during the up days. You know, everybody's, you know, I think you can never have enough money in the stock market on an up day, right? Right. Uh, you know, and $1 is too much on a down day. <laughs> you know, so, yeah, of course. But, but unfortunately, we can't time it. You know, we can't time it. But we know looking at the economy and looking at the, what market has done, it has been a fantastic uh, way to grow, grow wealth if you've looked at it over a long period of time, you know? And and I and I think it's a great place to put your funds. Just make sure you're diversified, and not taking on more risk than uh, than you're comfortable with. I gotta go back to Santa Claus rally. Is that a thing? Yeah, it's totally. Th you're not familiar with that one. Yeah, no. Santa, he, he doesn't he doesn't just bring toys, man. You know he he, he, <laughs> you know, he, he helps us make money too. All right. So does that? And so when you say that, it means you said that that the market will generally sort of go up a little bit the last couple of weeks of the year. It, yeah, generally speaking, like if, if anybody is a fan or has looked at the stock, the stock market traders almanac, all right, that's basically the, the history book of, of the market moves and the seasons, the days, the weeks, the months, all the different patterns that have that uh, have shown up over the years. And, and one, we're in, a, we're in a, the seasonally strong time of the market is November to April. All right. Yeah. That's when that's when something like three quarters of the of the historical gains they've been achieved in those months. And, and, and that's when you get, you come up with these sayings, you know, sell in May and go away because the market typically had, had, had made its run through April and, and generally, you know, it gets into these doldrums where it just kind of goes back and forth and sideways over the summer. So yeah, looking at the stock market almanac, it'll tell you that the seasonal strength comes typically, you know, from November to April, and then people come up with the sell in May and go away. And, and so, you know, the idea being, I guess you go to the beach, take it easy during the summer, you know, and enjoy all the money that you made, you know, in that last several months. And, and so the period of time, though, December and January, because of what, I, of what I was talking about earlier, there's a lot of people that are high income earners that you max out your, your 401k contributions, maybe in June or July or something, or maybe earlier. And so you're not still contributing as much throughout the year, which means the plans overall aren't contributing as much. 
But in January, everybody, again, is eligible to, to put money into those retirement plans. And that's where we came up with the, you know, somebody came up with this term January effect, because typically, you know, the market does perform well, you know, from, from in this time frame and in this period of time. And so not that that's a reason, you know, to, to support it. It's maybe it's a, it's a coincidence, though. If you look back in history, there's a very high correlation you know, with the market doing well in this period of time. Sure. So the January effect, there's another term that uh, is what you guys use, right? Yeah, it is. It is. And, and, uh, you know, but the, but there are, there are reasons, you know, if, like I said, with retirement plan contributions, that's completely, completely true. Oh, it it makes perfect sense. Absolutely. You you know, so if you've got more money coming into the market, it's got to be deployed, right? Like all the money where people buy index funds, so they've got to go out and buy all those stocks that comprise the index based upon the weighting that they represent, right? Yep. And 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 so you got more money coming in, you got more money chasing after fewer goods, right? It's going to drive the price higher. And and so, but but sometimes we get these crazy days where I believe it. You know, uh, a lot of folks have heard about the computer algorithms that a lot of that a lot of tra- institutions use, and and these institutions are are managing billions of dollars, and sometimes these a lot of these uh, these algorithms will be set for the same signal. In other words, maybe they've got a sell, they've got an automatic sell if the S&P breaks, you know, 45, 25 or something. And if you've got a bunch of programs that are all set to trigger, that's when you get this big wave of selling and you see the market down 500 points, like, you know, in the blink of an eye. Sure. And, 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 but you can't, you can't trade around those. You can't anticipate them unless you're, you've got far greater skills than anybody that I know. Um, You know, so that's why we say the best thing to do is to invest on a regular basis Every month or every week or every couple of weeks, whenever you get paid, make sure you're taking money out, you know, and putting it away for your retirement plan, because that is the biggest source of wealth for most people next to their house. In some cases, it's your house, but you, you got to have a place to live, right? Yes, you do. So, um, you, you know, so what I suggest is put as much away into your into your retirement plans as you can, as soon as you can, and, and do it consistently. And don't ever take it out for anything other than your own retirement. Right. And again, well, this is kind of a, a sidestep here, but that becomes important to realize that for so many baby boomers, we're dealing with that sandwich generation where, you know, you're dealing with elderly parents and you're dealing with kids maybe coming back, looking oh, yeah. for things. And but we still if if it, if we're the ones that are going to retire, we need to take care of us. We need to take care of ourselves. Yes. I yes. mean, it's, we all want, I always want to help, but again, I think there's going to be a bigger payoff if we take care of ourselves first, then we're going to have more to take care of others. No, no, I couldn't agree. I, I 100% agree with that, with that thought. And I tell people, in fact, I always use, I like to use the analogy of, of the airplane, you know, when you're first sitting on sure. the airplane and they're going, going through the safety drills, you know, and, and they say, okay, now this oxygen mask is going to fall down from the top, you know, going to come down from above. And you need to put the mask on yourself first. So that you can help, you know, your child or exactly. your, you know somebody that's sitting next to you, and and it's the same principle it, it, with regard to financial planning and retirement planning. In my in my opinion, make sure you're taken care of and you've got everything you need that you're covered um, with an anticipation for inflation, right? That that maybe should be a little higher. And you know, you know, in other words, I've seen a lot of people use estimates for inflation of just one of one and two percent consistently. Well, what happens when you have a year like this and we see six, seven, eight percent jump? That plan is just out the window. Yeah, exactly. Right? You, you know, and nobody so, saw it coming either. No, 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 nobody saw it coming. I mean, it, it, in my, in my, what it looks like to me is it's all, it's all tied to COVID and the pandemic and all the craziness that's yep. happened over the last couple of years with everything shutting down and then everything getting reopened and, and it, it's, it's just caused havoc with manufacturing, with shipping, with transportation, uh, with ever really with you know many many different everywhere I guess. Yeah. Um. You, you know, so we're still catching up on that, but that's why. 
that's why I think the Fed was saying, you know, transitory and that, the, you know, the inflation is not going to stay high forever. It's just a short period of time. But the th thing is, what's the definition of transitory, right? Is that is that two months, three months, six months? Is that a year and a half? What is it? And and so that's something that a lot of analysts were struggling with. Um, but essentially what it means, you, you know, if you look at the forecasts, most of them are thinking that the inflation is going to come down very pretty significantly by the time we get to like second quarter of 22. Uh, and a lot of them are expecting a supply glut to hit the market uh, in the January, February, March timeframe. In other words, everybody that's been double and triple ordering for the last several months because they didn't know if they were going to get their first order, they're all, they're all of a sudden get a, going to get a boatload of supplies. <laughs> Quite <and> literally. <laughs> li yeah, literally. <laughs> that's right. And so, so, so there's a lot of things going on that we just haven't been through before. Yeah. Right? So and, what happens and, to the market in that situation? Well, that's, that's something that I'm wondering about. I'm saying, could we, could we be looking at a, at a deflationary period, you know, where, where there's such a supply and such an abundance that the retailers just have to start slashing prices on everything because they've got way more than they expected because they got a triple order. So sure. I, I wow. think to, to, to me, it, and it's a lot to consider. In, the, in my opinion, it's impossible to know the outcome because there's just too many variables when we're still dealing, you know, without how many, how many more variants are there going to be on COVID and how deadly, you know, are they going to be deadly or are they just going to spread it and be mild, you know, like right. Omicron. Yeah. And, or, you know, and I don't know, how, and I guess, I don't know what they're going to do when they run out of Greek letters, but, but there's, we, we, we still I'm got sure Omega. I'm sure they'll come up um, with something, yeah. I think we still have Omega. Isn't that the last letter of the Greek alphabet? I think so. Um, <laughs> you know, so, and, and several others, right? But, but anyway, my point is, you know, we've still got COVID to deal with. There's still a lot of people don't want to get vaccinated. And as long as people are, there's so many people unvaccinated, that's going to allow this, this disease to mutate and, and produce more variants. So I think as long as we have such a large unvaccinated population, we're going to have to deal with COVID. So, uh, so that could crop up at any time. But what we've seen so far is every time that we've had you know, this weakness that the market is sold off, the smartest thing to do is to buy, right? Is to step in and buy because, because there's so much money on the sidelines that is just waiting for an opportunity. Um, I think it's, I, I, I'm, I believe it's, uh, you know, I'm feeling very good about the market. I feel very good about the reaction to, to, the, Fed, to the Fed today. And so I think it's a green light. I think, I think, you know, green light ahead. All right. Very, very good. And, uh, you know, so let's talk a little bit more specific about our own retirement plans and, and how yes. we can manage them, so to speak. And let's talk a little bit about fees, because yeah. I think a lot of people don't understand the fees that, that are in like their 401ks. Oh, no, they, they, I, I, I think you're, I think you're right. I think a lot of people don't understand. And, and I also think that the record keepers and the 401k plan providers I think they could do a lot better job of making it easy for people to find out those fees. Um, but that's not what they want, right? They don't, they don't, if they're charging you a high fee, they probably don't want you to know because they don't want you to take your money away because that's how they're making their living. Of course. And, 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 and so, uh, but no, some plans, you know, you can have very high fees built into them. Typically, typically, you know, what I've, what I've seen is that the really large companies, the, the enormous companies typically have pretty good plans. Um, it, it, because that they, they get charged the lowest fees, you know, because there's so many employees, so many participants, you know. Um, but if you're in a if you're in a smaller company or a mid-sized company, uh, I think, and I think you should look at the fees that regardless of where you are, you should know what they are because there could be there could be anything, there could be record keeping fees, there could be plan document fees, uh, there could be any number of, of fees that they have in addition to expense ratios like on your mutual funds or exchange traded funds, um, you know, which is the it's a percentage, right? And, and typically what I look for, there are still mutual funds that have expense ratios over 2%, which Jeez. is in, insane. Um, 
I mean, unless unless you're showing some significant market beating returns, there is no reason that I know of that would make sense paying a fee like that. Uh, most of the ones that that I'm involved with, the fee is less than half a point. Um, and I think if you're if you can be at a half a point or lower, uh, you know that then I think uh, then I think you should be doing okay. Um, but you certainly you certainly don't have to be paying much more than a half a point. There are some there are some investments that have you know some exchange traded funds have like built in hedges. You know, in other words, they're doing like option strategies where they're selling call options and buying put options. And so there's going to be a higher expense with something like that. But if it performs, you know, in other words, the person uses that to hedge your portfolio so it doesn't get hit as bad when the market drops. OK, and 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 if you if you do a hedge yourself, you're going to have to pay an expense for those options. That's just the reality. So so sometimes it might make sense, but it's on a select on a select basis. You just want to be aware of those. Uh, and if you don't know where to find them, just just give me a call. I'll be happy to help you look through the documents and figure out where they are. Well, that was my next question. That's something that, you, I mean, you do that every day. Help folks. You sort of do that portfolio yes. x-ray and dig in. You take that deep dive, as we like to say. Yes, that, that's right. And, and guys, and, and by the way, since we're at the end of the year, if anybody's looking to buy any mutual funds, you want to be careful, okay, because you don't want to buy them right before they pay out their dividends and right before they declare their capital gains. Because you could buy a mutual fund right now and then next week they could do the payout where you got to pay tax on a capital gain that you never, you didn't make it. The fund made it, right? But if you buy that fund before that's taken care of, you could be setting yourself up for a tax bill when you didn't even make any money. On well, it. that's good to know. Yeah. Well, that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's one of the benefits of working with an advisor. Okay. <laughs> well, yeah, but again, that, that's the point, right? I mean, that's why yeah, you're here. That's yeah, what you that's, do. That's, that's that's why you want to work with somebody because they can help you avoid a pot a potential you know landmine where you might get hit with a tax bill that you you shouldn't be paying because you didn't own the fund. But if you buy into this is when most of them you know some of them have already paid out the capital gains. So it depends on the specific fund you're looking at, of course. Mm -hmm. uh, but it's something to be aware of because people do get caught by that. Okay. Well, I, I want to ask you about this. I kind of know what this is, but it's the 12B1 fee. And, and I've seen that mm -hmm. on certain documents. And, and you know, until I kind of got into this industry, I, I didn't know what it was. But it's yeah. it's kind of interesting to to break that down. Yeah, there's, there's another fee that's attached that, that most of them, most of the websites listed as 12B1. And the, a typical 12B1 comes on a, a usually it's on a share, a share class that has a sales load. And, and uh, they attach it. It's basically a broker. It's compensation to the broker. It might be just to the brokerage firm, or it might actually go all the way to the individual rep. That varies firm by firm, um, but it's typically twenty-five basis points. So another, so it's another quarter, one quarter of a percent, uh, you know, of fees that are built into these things. So typically, typically the no-load mutual funds don't have those. It's usually, usually the twelve B one fee is associated with uh, a sales load product. Well, isn't that essentially marketing money for them? I mean, isn't that, isn't that what it breaks down to is they use it as marketing? I mean, they use that, that. Well, they, yeah. I mean, it's any, any number of, any number of okay, things. It's totally, right. it's, it's totally their choice what they use it for. You know, I mean, um, I mean, there's the, the fact is look at the big firms, Vanguard and Fidelity, look how much money they spend on marketing, you know? And, and, and so I don't, I don't know that marketing is a bad thing. Well, no, um, no, it's not. I, I'm not saying that it is. I'm just saying, you know, but so when you see that, you got to be aware of that, it, you know, yes. you got to be aware that you're paying it. I mean, it looks I all think, it looks all complicated, and you know all of that. Twelve B one, it must oh, be good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, not really for the consumer, no. no. But but there are some there are some funds. You know, I I don't like I don't I don't I think it's a mistake if somebody just looks at the expenses because you you need to look at are you getting something that's sometimes you have to pay a little bit more to get something good. 
And but not all not all the time, right? right. Um, but sometimes sometimes higher quality costs a little bit more. And and so there are some there are some situations where I will recommend a fund or I'll buy a fund with a twelve B one, you know, because it's got performance characteristics or, or safety or risk or whatever it is. Um, there's something that I can look at and I can point to and say, you know what, it's worth it. Yeah. Uh, but but there are there are other cases where you could have something that's very cheap, right? That's not that's not not worth putting a dollar into. So uh, so it's not just that consideration. It's an important one. But it's certainly not the only consideration. And so one of the other things, uh, you know, we talk about management fees and your fees. And the beauty of working with a fiduciary independent advisor like you, who've been doing this for more than 30 years, the transparency that you that you offer or that you show <laughs> that you just lay out. I mean, it's it's unlike any other. Oh, I tell you, I t yes, we 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 are very transparent. I send out a very, you know, like my the fee invoice, for instance, is a very simple one page separate document from your statement. And that's something actually that I do that uh, kind of is over, over and above. For instance, a lot of firms, what they do is they hide, they hide, they kind of hide the, the advisory fee, like, like in the middle of page seven, you know, it'll be like one light item in the middle of the page that talks about the fee, but you kind of have to dig, you got to, a lot of firms, they hide it. And so sure. I, I don't really consider that being fully transparent. Um, so I take the extra step of sending out a separate document that's just one page that makes it very, very plain and simple right in front, right in front of what the fee is, what it's based on and, and uh, things like that. Sure. So, so I think, I think, I think everybody, if, if you don't know what you're paying, uh, that certainly doesn't mean it's free, right? Um, because it's not, you know, so, so there are fees, but I've met a lot of folks that they didn't know what they were paying. And, and that's where I had to do some digging and find it and show it to them. So, so, you know, the, the fees are very, are, are very important. You know, in most cases you should be paying, you know, a lower fee for the larger size accounts, uh, especially if you have over a million dollars, you should not be paying 1% um, or anything more than that. And, and so it's important to know those numbers, but, but, you know, it, it, I think also your advisor should be making you at least 10 times, whatever they're charging you. Okay. And that, that's my goal as an advisor without taking on unnecessary risk. So, you know, we talk about coming up on the year end and it's hard to believe, but it is. And and you said everybody's going to start contributing to their 401ks again. Is it time to, to sort of assess, okay, maybe we need to up that contribution for 2022? You know what? I think that is a great idea, Steve. I think if everybody could increase that, you know, whatever you're putting away, unless you're maxing it out, um, you know, definitely, definitely do that because the, you will be so grateful that you did that later on. And the nice thing about it is it just comes straight out. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and, and it seems easier to save, you know, when it's just automatically taken out. And, and so I'm a big believer. I started doing that when I first started in my career back, back in the nineties, the automatic investing, because, because we call it dollar cost averaging. So every week or every month, you know, you put new money into the market. So, so sometimes you're buying at a higher level and sometimes you're buying at a lower level, but overall, over, overall, over time, you know, you, it, it, it should work out very, very well. And so I think it's a great time to take a look at that. Take a look at your allocation too, guys, because you know what? What the studies are showing is that in most 401k plans, they have something like 17 or 18 different choices, different fund, funds you could choose from. But most people are only investing in two or three. And you know, and while that, that might work out really well if you happen to be in the right one at the right time, um, I, I prefer, personally, I would prefer more diversification. And, and, and I would like to see you know, seven, eight, nine, 10 different investments, if not more. Um, you know, take, you know, obviously we don't want to be, you know, have several in investments that are all focused on the same objective, you know? So one thing that, one of the things that I do with mutual fund analysis is we do something called an intersection report. And what that does is it looks at each individual fund and it tells us what do they hold? 
Okay. And, and, and I'll tell you what this, uh, many years ago, I met a guy uh, in Illinois and he had six or seven different funds from a, from a, from a very, very large, well-known Wall Street firm. Um, and they split them up into different fund families so that he did not get a discount back. You know, there was a sales charge. Uh, there was a fee that was charged that he should have paid a lot smaller of. He should have paid a lot smaller fee if the guy bought him funds from one family instead of several different families. So he didn't hit a break point. And, but not only that, he bought him six or, I think it was, I can't remember if it was six or seven funds, but they were all large cap growth funds. So when I ran the intersection report, I could see that every single one of them was buying Cisco and Microsoft, you know, back in the, you know, back, back in the day. And, and so it does, it does no good, right? If you've got six funds, but they're all buying the same thing, you know, that's, that's what we want to avoid. And that's why it's really important to make sure that you're, that you have exposure to different asset classes different size companies and maybe be global. You know, there, there's a, there are a lot of people are thinking we could see a lot better growth out of Europe in the next few years than out of the United States. So maybe you want to have some international investments as well. Wow. Okay. I mean, <laughs> I don't ever hear you talk about international investments. That's sort of interesting. Yeah. We, well, you know, what's the, the, I've been looking at, I've been thinking about Europe a lot and, and in terms of the valuation and the valuation, you know, uh, of the European stocks is, is lower than it is in the United States. Now, there is an argument that we're growing faster, you know, because a lot of good tech companies, you know, are based in the U.S., you know, like Apple and uh, we, we know the big tech sure, companies, right? right. Go, Google, Facebook, Amazon, um, you know, so we have a little faster growth rate. And, and a lot of people think that Europe hasn't uh, hasn't really embraced technology as, as much as the U.S. And so the overall GDP growth of Europe has been slower and lower. Um, and, and so that's kept, you know, so the European markets really haven't performed that well, um, you know, but I'm, I'm just wondering if it might be a good time, though. Because of the high valuation of the U.S. and and if we do start to raise interest rates, you know the reason why a high multiple, a high valuation on our markets made sense is because interest rates were so low. Because you have to look at the time value of money. When without getting too complicated, as interest rates rise, the valuation of the market should go down. And so, so that's something I'm looking at as a way to diversify is putting some money uh, into the European markets. I haven't actually done it yet. Um, but I, but it's something I'm, I'm, I'm considering right now. Okay. So as long as you're, let's talk, as long as you're in a consideration mode, uh, what are we doing with the pure growth? Yeah. You know, you know what? Pure growth is sitting around the same area. We're sitting on about a 30% gain for the year. Okay. And, um, you, you know, so it, haven't made a lot of moves lately in that account. Um, and, and, and so, but I, but I feel like if, if, if the markets are turning because based on today's action of the federal reserve, I think we might be start to seeing, you know, more, uh, uh, more people take on more risk, which is a way of saying, I think they're going to be going for what we call high beta stocks, which is where that portfolio thrives. All right. And, and so, so that's what I'm, uh, that's what I'm going to be looking at. Some of the shippers look really interesting to me. The shippers. What does that mean? The shippers. Yeah. Like oh, companies that do, the, that do, do shipping. The shipping. For, okay. For, all right. Well, I didn't know it was that literal. <laughs> <laughs> yes, exactly. Exactly. Now uh, it, it could be a trucking company. It could be a container ship. It could, you know, there's a lot of different aspects involved, right? But these, I'm thinking these guys are going to be pretty busy for a while, right? Oh, sure. And so I would, I would think their, their businesses, uh, you know, their, their sales and their earnings should be d- doing very well, but um, it, it does matter which one in which particular area, but that's an industry, a sector that I, uh, an industry, I should say that I, that I think looks nice. Interesting. No, you got me thinking about it. <laughs> hey, you know, <laughs> I tell you, you know what, but they can be, you know, they can be volatile. They're not for the faint of heart. So, right, right. Um, that, that's the thing with individual stocks, guys. It's really important to make sure you, you, you know that in, an individual stock can easily jump. It could jump 20% in one day. It could drop 20%. It could drop more than that, you know, in, in just one day. And you typically don't see that from a fund, whether it's a mutual fund or an exchange traded fund. 
you know, so so that's what I think individual investors they make a mistake. Sometimes they get too heavy into individual stocks and then they hit a market downturn and they didn't realize how big of a loss they could suffer. So I think, uh, I, th I think if you stick with funds and just, you know, with stocks, it takes a little bit different risk tolerance, you know, but, but if you're comfortable with it, you know, I, I uh, certainly be happy to talk to anybody about it. Okay, great. And if you'd like to give Kevin a call, it's 800-975-6717, 800-975-6717. You can also just check out the website, silverleaffinancial.com, silverleaffinancial.com. You can reach out, you can connect with Kevin that way as well. And uh, so as we uh, do this, uh, this show before Christmas kind of a thing, what, what, what are you thinking? Well, you, you know what? I'm, I'm thinking that the markets are looking pretty good. If, if you're a long-term investor, keep on keep on investing and, and make up a list for yourself. If you're a do yourself or make up a list of something that you want to buy when it goes on sale on the next downturn, you know, make sure you do the research and make sure you know what you want to buy or talk to your advisor and you can put. Provided this for illustrative purposes only and does not constitute investment tax or legal advice. The covered material has been obtained from sources that are deemed to be reliable, but their accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. There are risks associated with every type of investment vehicle. Please read the prospectus and risk disclosures thoroughly before investing. Insurance guarantees are subject to the insurance company's ability to pay. Neither Silverleaf Financial, Kevin Brooker, hosts, and guests are responsible for the usage of information discussed. Security and investment services offered through Silverleaf Financial, member FINRA SIPC. Please consult with an experienced advisor before making any investment decisions.